You know, it was uh, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, if you know that word, somewhere around 32 A.D. And according to John chapter 7, Jesus had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles and was preaching and teaching in the temple. The Jewish leaders decided to have Jesus arrested, and so they sent a contingent of the temple guard to seize Him. John chapter 7 says the temple guards without Jesus in custody, returned to the chief priests who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, And the guards answered, Never did a man speak the way that this man speaks. You know, in 1971, I was a dope-smoking, acid-dropping, drug-pushing, spiritually-lost Jewish college student down at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And in the spring of 1971, I met a street preacher named Bob Eckhart. Bob challenged me to do something I had never done before. He challenged me to read the Bible. And so I did. I began at the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, and I began reading. And I must tell you that my first impression of Jesus is exactly the same first impression as the guards at the temple back in John chapter 7 had. Namely, I found myself thinking, you know, whether this Jesus guy is the Messiah or not, I don't know. But without a doubt, he says some of the most outrageous things I have ever heard anybody say in my life. Well, friends, today we're starting a new series entitled Jesus's Most Outrageous Sayings. And what I've done is I've gone through the gospel accounts in the Bible and I've picked out 12 of the most radical things Jesus ever said And we're going to spend a week on each one of them. And I hope this will be a very valuable and a very enjoyable series for you. We're going to start today in John chapter 8. So if you brought your Bible, how about opening with me to John chapter 8. Here in our main auditorium, if you didn't bring your Bible, we've got a copy of the Bible for you right under your armrest. So just pull it out. We'll be on page 758. Page 758 in our copy of the Bible. John 8 in your copy. And while you're turning, let me give you a little bit of background. Here in John chapter 8, Jesus is in the the temple in Jerusalem. He's teaching the people. And as the Jewish religious leaders listen to what Jesus is saying, they become increasingly irritated and they begin to argue with Him. Well, as John 8 goes on, the argument gets more and more heated until finally, at the end of the chapter, it explodes with the rabbis making a really ugly reference to Jesus' birth That is, to his virgin birth, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. John chapter 8, verse 41. Then the rabbi said to Jesus, We were not born of fornication. The NIV will say, We are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God. Verse 42. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and he sent me. Verse 47, Jesus continues, He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is because you do not belong to God. Verse 48, and then the rabbi said, See there, aren't we correct in saying that you are demon-possessed? Verse 49, Jesus said, I am not possessed by a demon, but I will tell you this, if anyone keeps my word, he will never See death. You go, wow, Lon, that really is an outrageous saying. Well, wait a minute, we haven't even gotten to the most outrageous thing yet. We're just working our way there. Verse 52, 
At this, the rabbis exclaimed, Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died. And all the prophets died. And yet you say, if anybody keeps your word, they will never see death. Who do you make yourself out to be? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? And Jesus said, verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the rabbi said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And friends, here comes one of the most outrageous things anybody has ever said. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Now, let's talk for just a moment about what Jesus just really said here in verse 58. To do that, we've got to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Here in Exodus 3, Moses is living as an outcast on the backside of the desert. He's been there for 40 years and he's walking along one day and he sees this burning bush. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, Jehovah God starts talking to Moses out of this burning bush. Jehovah God informs Moses that He's going to send Moses back to Egypt to lead the Israelites to freedom. And then as part of the conversation, Moses says this to God. He says, verse 13 of Exodus 3, Suppose I go back to the Israelites, as you're asking me to, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And Lord, what if they say to me, Well, what's His name, Moses? What am I supposed to tell them? Verse 14, then God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the Israelites that I am has sent me to you. Friends, what exactly was Jesus claiming to be when he said before Abraham was I am? Well, he is claiming to be the great I am of the burning bush. He's claiming to be Jehovah God himself. Wrapped in human flesh, he's claiming to be the very same Jehovah God who spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And you say, Lon, are you sure you're not reading too much into what Jesus said there? Maybe he just got the tense of the verb wrong or something. No, no, no. I'm positive I'm not reading too much into it, and I'll tell you why. Look at the next verse in John 8, verse 59. It says, and at this, the rabbis picked up stones to throw at him. Friends, the rabbis knew exactly what Jesus meant. They knew exactly what he was claiming to be. The penalty in ancient Israel for blasphemy was stoning. And that's why they picked up stones to throw at him. Because they knew he was claiming to be Jehovah God himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus, if you'll look carefully, has been claiming that this entire chapter, John chapter 8. Look back, if you would, at verse 24. Jesus said, John 8, 24, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Look at verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, referring, of course, to the crucifixion, then you will know that I am. And finally, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am, there was no doubt to the people in that chapter who Jesus was claiming to be Jehovah God himself wrapped in human flesh. Pretty outrageous claim. You know, it was, it was a Saturday morning. Uh, this was years ago. My wife and I, we were living here in McLean on a little cul-de-sac. And um, 
I got up and uh, Saturday was my day off and I had my cup of coffee and I was just looking forward to a day of just relaxing. And I looked out the front window and I saw them coming around the cul-de-sac. Two Jehovah's Witnesses working their way around the cul-de-sac. And I said, Lord, not on Saturday. Lord, come on. And so I went to my wife and I said, now, Brenda, look. This is my day off. I really appreciate if you do me a favor. When they come to the door, you go to the door and just tell them we don't want any. And she said to me, me? She said, I'm not the pastor of McLean Bible Church. You go to the door. So I went, all right. So I went to the door. And and really, honestly, I'll, I'll say my only goal was just to get rid of these people as fast as I could. And so I went to the door and I, and I was very short and curt with them. And finally, uh, they said, well, would you like a copy of our green Bible? You know, the green Bible before we move on. And I said, I thought, well, you know, that would be kind of nice to have on my shelf as a reference. So I said, OK, OK, sure. Give me one. So the, the, uh, the, now the people standing at my door, you need to understand, was an older man who was clearly the trainer and a young lady who was clearly the trainee. And so she handed me this Bible And she said, but sir, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask you for a 10 cent donation to the Jehovah's Witnesses. I I handed her back the Bible and I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I can't do that. She said, what are you talking about? She said, you're living in McLean. You can afford 10 cents. I said, ma'am, I can afford 10 cents. But I, I said, I'm a Christian and I cannot justify taking God's money that he's entrusted to me and giving it to a bunch of heretics like you. Ooh. She said to me, heretic, she said, what are you talking about? And I thought, okay, here we go. So I said, all right, give me that green Bible of yours for a minute. And, and I said to her, now listen, I'm going to ask you one question, and one question only, is Jesus Christ, Jehovah God himself in the flesh? She said, no, and he never claimed to be in the Bible. I said, give me that thing, give me, give me. Well, I can't go to John chapter 1 because they've changed that. You can't go to a bunch of other places because they changed it. But at that point, they had not changed John chapter 8. And so I opened to John 8 and showed you her what I showed you. Before Abraham was, I am. We turn back to Exodus 3 in her Bible where it says, Jehovah God spoke from the bush. I am. Tell him I am sent you. I showed her that. And I said, now, ma'am, here you go. Who do you think Jesus was claiming to be if not Jehovah God? She looked at that. She said, I never saw that in here before. She looked at the man who was with her, her trainer, and she said, you, you never showed me this in here before. And she turned back to me and said, who are you anyway? Well, let me tell you something, friends. Jesus Christ personally claimed to be Jehovah God, wrapped in human flesh. And don't you ever let anybody tell you that he didn't. John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the Father are one. Therefore, verse 30, the rabbis again picked up stones to throw at him. And Jesus said, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And they replied, we are not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, claim to be God. They knew what he was claiming. John chapter 5, verse 18, for this reason... Therefore, the rabbis were seeking to kill Jesus because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I'm amazed at these scholars, so-called today, 2,000 years later, who think they understood better, they understand today better what Jesus was claiming for himself than the people who were standing there listening to him. 
Those people knew what he was claiming. They understood it perfectly. That's why every time they talked, the conversation ended with them picking up stones to throw at him because they knew what he was claiming to be. And you know, all of the New Testament goes on to repeat this claim. Isaiah chapter 9 in the Old Testament says that the Messiah will be the mighty God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Titus chapter 2 calls Jesus Christ our great God and Savior. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus calls Himself the Almighty, and a term used exclusively in the Bible for Jehovah God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible calls Jesus the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 2, 9 says that all the fullness of deity, look at this, dwells in Jesus in bodily form. And finally, John chapter 14, verse 9, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Let us see Jehovah God, and that's all we want. And Jesus said, have I been with you this long, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? He who has seen me has seen Jehovah God the Father. Friends, how can you say it any clearer than that? You say, okay, Lon, okay. I'll give you that point. I'll grant that to you. Jesus claimed to be Jehovah God. But that's not really the issue, is it, Lon? The issue really is, what proof does he bring, does the Bible bring, to support that claim as being right? Well, that's a great question. So let's talk about it. When we look in the New Testament, we find that Jesus demonstrated all of the prerogatives and all of the powers that go with being Jehovah God. For example, number one, Jesus demonstrated a power over sickness and disease that only God could have. I mean, he healed a man in John chapter 9 who'd been born blind. And the man himself says, verse 32, since the world began, no one has ever opened the eyes of a man born blind. Who could do that and all the other healings that he did if he were not Almighty God in the flesh. Number two, Jesus had a power over nature that only God could have. In Matthew 14, He walked on water. In Mark chapter 2, 21, um, Matthew chapter 21, He cursed a fig tree and it died. In Matthew chapter 8, He re rebuked these gale force winds on the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, everything went calm. And His disciples in Matthew 8 say, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey Him? Who could have a power over nature like that but God? Number three, Jesus had a power over demons that only God could have. He cast demons out. He cast demons into pigs. Everywhere He went, demons cowered in fear of Him. In fact, in Luke 11, the rabbis come and ask Him, how do you do this? Here's what He said, verse 22, Luke 11. He said, when a strong man guards his house, his possessions are safe. But when a stronger person comes along, he overpowers that man and takes all that he has Rabbis, how do I overcome demons? Jesus said, it's real simple. I'm stronger than they are. Who could make a statement like that and back it up but Almighty God? Number four, Jesus had a power over sin that only God could have. In Mark chapter 2, there was a paralyzed man lying on the ground and Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven you. And the rabbis listening to him strenuously objected and said, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? Well, for once, the rabbis got it right. They were right. 
And so Jesus went on to say to them, okay, you're right. So to prove to you that I have the power on earth to forgive sin, he said to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the guy gets up and walks out of the place. Who has that kind of power? But God alone. And how could Jesus tell the woman at the well, John chapter 4, everything she'd ever done if he wasn't God? And how could Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11, if he wasn't God? But friends, the crowning proof of all, of course, is the resurrection of Jesus himself. Romans chapter 1 verse 4, the Bible says, Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God, to be deity. How? By his resurrection from the dead, the purpose of the resurrection, at least one purpose, was to vindicate for us, to prove to us in the whole world that Jesus is who He claimed to be. He is Jehovah God in the flesh. He is the great I Am of the Old Testament. Folks, no other religion, no other philosophical system claims an empty tomb for its follower, uh, for its leader, rather. Not Buddha, not Confucius, not Mohammed, not Joseph Smith, not Rabbi Schneerson, not Karl Marx, not L. Ron Hubbard, not George Bernard Shaw and all of his humanist buddies. And that's because none of these people ever claimed to be Jehovah God in the flesh. But that is what Jesus claimed. And on top of all these other proofs, we have His empty tomb, His resurrection from the dead as proof positive that He is who we claim to be. You say, well, Lon, how can you even be sure the resurrection happened? Hey, it's real simple, folks. Christianity could have been stopped dead in its tracks. All somebody had to do in the first century is find the body of Jesus. All somebody had to do in the first century is give a reasonable explanation of what happened to the body of Jesus, other than it being raised from the dead, the way the Bible claims. And the Christian faith is over. It's dead. There is no Christian faith. And yet, even though there were many, many opponents of Christianity who wanted to end it, who wanted to stop it, even though they opposed the preaching and even killed the preachers, the one thing people could never do is discredit the resurrection. And I'll tell you why. Because it really happened. And if it really happened, then friends, Jesus is Almighty God just the way He claimed to be. And He is the one true way to God, just like He said He was. Jesus is, I am, wrapped in human flesh. Now let me take a break and say that if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, this has enormous implications for your life, what we're talking about today. Remember what I love to say, follow a dead Savior and you'll end up just like Him. Friends, you follow one of these dead Saviors I named off a little earlier and you're going to end up dead for eternity just like they are. But the great news of the Bible is we don't have a dead Savior. The great news of the Bible is we have a living Savior, a risen Savior. And the converse of this is also true. Follow a living Savior and you'll end up just like Him for all eternity. And if you're here today, this is what we want for you. We want you to live for all eternity with Jesus Christ. And the only way to do it is follow a living Savior. There's only one of them that rose from the dead. And that's Jesus Christ. And I challenge you today to really give some thought whether you want to throw your lot for eternity in with a dead Savior or whether you want to throw it in with a living Savior. The great I Am who came to pay for your sin and mine on the cross and then rose from the dead to prove that He had created the true way to God. Something to think about. Well, that's as far as we want to go in our passage today because it's time for us to ask our most important question. 
And you know what this is, right? We haven't done this in a few weeks, so I didn't want to spring it on you. Take a moment. Here we go. Get yourself ready. You ready? All right, here we go now, nice and loud. One, two, three. So what? Feels good to be home again, doesn't it? That feel good? You say, Lon, so what? Okay, so before Abraham was, I am. All right, so Jesus was Jehovah God in the flesh. I mean, what difference should that make to my everyday life when I walk out of my house Monday morning? What difference does this make to me? Well, I'd like to talk to you about that. Friends, remember what started the whole argument in John chapter 8 here. The whole argument was started when the rabbis asked Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? And what did Jesus do? Well, he answered their question. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And in claiming to be Jehovah God himself, wrapped in human flesh, all Jesus did is answer their question. He answered it definitively. He answered it precisely. He answered it unambiguously, and he answered it with no wiggle room whatsoever. And I believe that today in the 21st century, Jesus' claim to be Jehovah God is just as true and just as compelling as it was in the first century. As followers of Christ, I make the point that this is where we have to take our stand on the deity of Christ, and we have to refuse to yield on this point. Friends, you know, as we present Christ to people in our world, listen, it's okay if people want to resist Jesus. That's their business. It's okay if people want to reject Jesus. That's their business. It's sad, but it's their business. It's okay if people want to renounce Jesus. That's their business. But the one thing that as followers of Christ we cannot allow people to do is to redefine Jesus. In the early church, when the Roman Empire insisted that all of its subjects confessed that the emperor was God, tens of thousands of Christians went to their death rather than do this. And the reason is because they understood something. They understood that they had a responsibility not to let anyone redefine Jesus Christ. They had a responsibility to defend the identity of Jesus Christ with their very lives, if need be. And I submit to you today that we in the 21st century have that very same responsibility. Now, in some places in our world, for us to stand firm for the identity of Jesus Christ may very well cost us our lives. Here in America, that's probably not going to happen. It's not going to cost us our lives. But to stand firm on the identity of Christ here in America may very well cost us our job. It may very well cost us our popularity. It may very well cost us our inheritance or our friends or our neighbors or our career. But you know, folks, whatever the cost may be, as followers of Jesus Christ, walking in the footsteps of those early Christians, we have the responsibility to pay that price, whatever it is. Redefining Jesus is simply not something that we can allow people to do. And we've got a world that loves to redefine Jesus. They want to redefine Him and bring Him down to a level that they can coexist with Him. They want to redefine Him and bring Him down to a level where they don't have to make any changes in their lifestyle to get along with Jesus. They don't want to have have to deal with the Lordship of Christ over their life to get along with Jesus. They want to make Him into a humanitarian, a philosopher, a moralizer, a teacher, just a nice religious figure. Jesus was all of these, but He was more. He was Jehovah God, wrapped in human flesh. 
And he cannot be redefined down to where you and I can coexist to him with him on any terms other than the terms he gave us. And that is, he is Lord of our life and everything we are. He is Lord of our behavior and everything we do. And we cannot redefine him so that we don't have to deal with that. And we cannot let our world do that. And whatever it costs, we need to pay it. You know, my mom passed away in uh, August of 1992. And I was out in California at the time speaking at Hume Lake Christian Camps. And I called home to find out about the funeral arrangements. She died of cancer. And uh, my stepfather got on the telephone. My dad had already died and gone on to be with the Lord years before. My stepfather got on the phone and he said, You know, he said, Lon, I don't know quite how to tell you this. He said, But your aunt, my wife's sister, I mean, my mom's sister, is running the funeral arrangements. And um, she told me to tell you that you're not welcome in her home. Don't come back. Now, you got to understand, when I first came to Jesus Christ, one of the initial people that I shared the Lord with was my aunt and my uncle. And I told them, Jesus is the Messiah. And I told them, Jesus is Jehovah God in the flesh. And I told them that Jewish people like you and me need Jesus or we are not going to heaven. I told them all that. That was 20 years before. We haven't talked much in those 20 years. They weren't real excited about that message. But that's okay. I I said, you've got to be kidding me. She told me that I can't come to her home. He said, that's right. Now, friends, you've got to remember how Jewish people do funerals. We do funerals different than y'all Gentiles do. The way we do funerals is we go to the cemetery and have a little short service in Hebrew at the cemetery. And then everybody goes back to the home of a relative where they all greet one another and extend their condolences. And she said, you can tell Lon he's free to come to the cemetery if he wants. I can't stop him from doing that, but he's not welcome in my home afterwards. So I called her up and I said, now, listen, I heard this really bad rumor that you said that I'm not allowed to come into your home for the funeral of my mother. She said, that's no rumor. You heard right. I said, now, whoa. I said, I know we don't get along about Jesus Christ and everything. I said, but this is my mother. I mean, there's a time where you put that other stuff aside. This is my mother's funeral. She said, I don't care whose funeral it is. You're not welcome in my house. Don't come back. And if you come to the door, I'm not letting you in. Now, right there on the telephone, I knew what I could do to change this situation. It was easy. All I had to do is say to her, you know... I've had a real change of heart about Jesus Christ. I don't believe He's the Messiah of Israel anymore. I don't believe He's Jehovah God in the flesh anymore. I don't believe that you and uh, and my uncle as Jewish people have got to accept Him as your Messiah to go to heaven anymore. I don't believe that anymore. And you know what? I'd have had a diamond-studded invitation to come home and go to that funeral. But friends, I could not say that. Sitting uh, right there on the telephone, I remembered the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus said, He who loves father or mother or aunt or uncle or anybody else more than me is not worthy of me. And I could not do that. And so I said, well, I guess I just won't come. And I didn't. I never went to my mom's funeral. You know, it's okay though. Because my mom accepted Jesus as her personal Savior one week before she died. And I know when I get to heaven and I see my mom, I know what she's going to say to me. She's going to say, Lon, you did the right thing. Funerals are negotiable. The identity of Jesus Christ is not negotiable.
you did the right thing. And I'm proud of you. And friends, that's the so what of what I'm trying to say to you today. I'm trying to say that as followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord is asking us to stand firm on this issue of the unique identity of Christ, the deity of Christ. He's asking us to stand firm on the fact that because He is Jehovah God in the flesh, He offers us the unique pathway to God and the unique pathway to heaven. He's asking us to stand firm in our office, at our school, on our ball team, with our relatives, with our neighbors, anywhere we go, even if there's a big personal cost to pay. And you say, honestly, Lon, why should I be willing to pay that cost down here? Well, friends, the answer is because of the payoff that we're going to get in heaven if we do. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 10, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess them before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't know 100% what Jesus means by that. But whatever He means by it, I want it. Whatever He means to confess me before the Father in heaven, I want that. And how do I get it? Jesus said, Lon, you've got to stand for me down here. And folks, He says the same thing to you. And I hope you want it when you get to heaven. Let's summarize. And we're done. Jesus claimed to be Jehovah God in the flesh. Jesus demonstrated all the prerogatives of Jehovah God in the flesh. Jesus rose from the dead to prove that He was Jehovah God in the flesh. And now Jesus calls on you and me as followers of Christ to take our stand on this truth and never compromise it, regardless of the cost. This is the mantle that tens of thousands of Christians have handed you and me with their very lives. And this is the mantle that I want us to carry well and hand to the next generation with whatever cost we may have to pay. It doesn't matter because your cost and my cost is negotiable, friends. The identity of Jesus Christ is not. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks for challenging us today with the deity of Jesus Christ. And as we said earlier, Father, you know that we've got a world full of people who want to redefine Jesus so that they can coexist with Him on their own terms. Lord, as Your followers, we cannot allow this world to do that, regardless of what it costs us. We can't allow our friends to do it, our neighbors to do it, our relatives to do it, our schoolmates to do it. And so, Lord, make us kind and make us gentle, but Lord, make us bold and firm on this issue that you are who you said you are and we will go to our death before we will agree to anything different. Thank you that you, Jehovah God, were willing to come and give your life for people like us. Thank you that you rose from the dead to prove it was really you. Thank you, Lord, you created the way for us to have eternal life in heaven. We love you for that. And Lord, may our love go so deep and our loyalty go so far that we're willing to stand for you whatever the cost and let no one redefine you. Challenge our lives because we were here today, Lord. Change the very way we live tomorrow morning when we go to our office or our school. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.